The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof, only to find out that your roof still leaks, well, it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber Roofs Manufacturing apply the rubber paint to your roof. Your roof will look great and definitely won't leak anymore. Why do I say definitely? Well, Rubber Roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You can find out more at www.rubberroofs.co.za. A very good afternoon to you. It's just past the midday mark on this, the 24th of April, 2023. So much in the news, so much to discuss, um, that I thought the best way to do it would to bring in industry peers, people that are on the ground working um, hard at trying to fight fraud and corruption, which seems to have beset us all. It really does sound like doom and gloom. But is there hope? We're going to find out today. My guest in studio joining us in a couple of minutes is Angelique De Silva and Carla Buertas. Of course, I'd like to remind you that the views expressed on the show are necessarily those of mine or that of station management. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. I'm joined in studio today by Angelique De Silva and Carla Buertas, two colleagues in the investigation field, both of which have degrees in criminology, both of which have studied extensively thereafter and are both registered with the regulator to perform investigations. Why do I have investigators in studio with me today? Well, quite simple. I've noticed of late that whenever there's a big breaking story, and there's a lot, South Africa has an incredible news cycle. Of course, the news cycle slowed down for the Tabu Besta story, but in and amongst the Tabu Besta story were a lot of other very important stories. The Gupta story, the first state capture story, a murder of, of, of two young boys for Muti, um, and so much else that's been happening in our country that we need to discuss. And what I realized while chatting to multiple news agencies is that the reason they seek out investigators for comments and not necessarily researchers, um, other academics, um, legal professionals, is that they're trying to get an understanding of what's happening on the ground. A lot of people, myself included in the past, have waxed lyrical about the opportunities the state has to turn back crime, the legislation we have in place, the units we have in place, but it seems to me that the opposite is happening. Let's start with Angelique. Angelique, we look at the Tabu Besta case and we are raving at the moment that it seems like the law enforcement in our country have a win for once. Was it a win? On the one hand, it is a win because it's not our SAPS members or our members from the prisons that are looking after these inmates that were corrupted and who were paid off money so that this gentleman could escape prison. So I guess it is a win 50%, but on the other side, it's not. The reason private prisons exist and are so prominent is because our prisons are so inundated with so many different criminals that we just don't have the capacity to add more. So 50-50, yes, it's a win. We weren't implicated directly as prison members or prison wardens. But again, he's only in a private prison because our capacity is what it is. 
So interesting, a, a very interesting take on that, an unexpected take on that. So it's not the South African officials themselves to blame because this is a private prison. But Angelique, don't we hold the private sector to a higher standard? Don't we hear calls for the privatization of our airways, of our Eskom and of other state-owned entities because we don't believe the state is doing a good enough job in managing these entities. I think we are calling for that, but we need to have better checks and balances because, yes, we need privatization in all of those sectors, but without the checks and balances in place, what stops corruption from taking over in those areas? Even though it is private versus state, there's corruption, and it permeates all levels of our country, not just the state, but also in private companies. Very true. So Carla, Angelique's saying that it's a win because they caught him. It's a win because our officials weren't directly involved. Um, but of course, it still shows that there's corruption within these organizations. What about the fact that the state didn't tell us that a convicted rapist and murderer was on the loose? And we don't know what's going through this man's mind. He could have gone and targeted those that he'd previously targeted out of pure spite. Uh, that's where I think it's a loss. I think state uh, taxpayers' money going to a private plane essentially as well shows it is our members, it is SAPS, it is our law enforcement. And not disclosing that there is a rapist and a murderer on the loose, and yes, they are saying to protect the victims, but it was a victim who had to take the photo of or see it on social media of Tabu Besta. So it is, what if that was me again? For me, the Tabu Besta story is a microcosm of what we're going through in South Africa. It shows us that despite the fact that we talk about crime as being a national sport, we as South Africans can still be shocked. That case has shocked each and every one of us to the core. It's a case that we are hearing more about each and every day. This weekend, we finally found out who the body was that had purportedly been Tabo Besta. It's a heartbreaking story, but for me, it goes to the crux of organized crime. This isn't a case of the fact that long before there was the Tinder swindler, we had the Facebook rapist, that being Tabo Besta. It goes to the crux that money can buy anything. They've estimated that more than 5 million rand was spent in his escape. That excludes the fact that he and his partner were committing fraud from behind bars, that he was able to make millions of rands in order to pay people off to ensure this would happen. Now, for me, this is a slick operation. You have a plan in place to get somebody out. You have a body switch. You have vehicles to take them to a safe house. You then have other places for them to stay. And, of course, they were living the high life. That, for me, shows that money in this country can buy absolutely anything. Does that mean, Angelique, knowing that organized criminals have so much money, that we will see justice in so many of the cases that we've heard about, including Zuma, including the Guptas, including the likes of Tabo Besta? Yeah, that's a loaded question. I want to say, because you always have to be positive, because then why are we in this industry if we're not going to be positive? But I think that we need to crack down on those who are involved in these investigations because corruption starts at the root. So if I want to get off and I have all this money, I'm going to look at the investigators. I'm going to look at the attorneys. I'm going to look at anyone that I can compromise 
and try and get away with this. So I think we can move forward, but we have to be very selective of our investigators, of our MPA, who is involved in these matters, to strengthen those cases. So Carla, could we say that the Taubu Besta escape and everything associated with it is because of corruption? If corruption wasn't so blatant in our country, would people have been able to go to such length to have somebody escape in such a dramatic way? No, 100% it's because of corruption. <laughs> if not, our country is revolving around money in every kind of sense. Uh, people want to get rich fast and people want to use corruption to do that. I mean, if you look at, this isn't just an escape. It was it was an investment scheme as well. They became rich off of what they were doing in prison. Can I just add to that? Of course. Also, he was so blatant and just hanging out in Santa, and he had no problems being recognized. Even in some of the videos that came out, he just looked at you like you're not going to say anything. So it speaks to the fact, I got out once, I can get out again. The arrogance, it just shows. Angelique, you raise a valid point there. Is it because he's a psycho, or is it because he knew that with money he's going to get away with it? Look, I definitely don't think he is not a psycho because if you see how he escalated, he went from rape, he murdered, and then behind bars to get out, he became the perfect fraudster. So that we taught him that because if he hadn't been in jail with access to the laptops and the cell phones, could he have committed fraud the way he did? So I think he, definitely he's got the psychopath traits and then, of course, he's got the money to back it. So we as a society haven't come together hard or firm enough or taken a stand to try to prevent this from happening. That's why you use the words we. We as society are not doing enough to hold our state officials accountable. I agree 100% as well. So what do we do to hold them accountable, Carla? Where do we start? <laughs> um if we can't start at the top, not even the somebody who's making 2,500 rand is going to be able to, to look up to anybody who's not being held accountable. And I personally don't even have a solution for that. So let's talk about starting at the top. It seems like the legal process is in favor of those that have money or very good legal practitioners. They call it the Stalingrad approach. And Zuma has demonstrated this from day one. There's always, always, always a delay in bringing him to justice. How do we overcome this? I think as a country, we need to start somewhere. We can't just look at one matter and say, oh, well, it, nothing has come from the Zuma case, so nothing's going to come from any of these other cases. Nothing will come from Cyril. Nothing will come from Fala Fala. We have to, as a country, stand by our legal authorities as well, even SAP's members, and say, we support you and we support what you can do. We support that the MPA can prosecute correctly. We're not going to put you on such a high esteem and a high standard that we're actually breaking you down and thinking that there's just going to be corruption within that. That's a very interesting take. So we see the likes of Andrea Johnson, Hamian Crenier, um, Shamila Batoy, and we hold them to a far higher standard than what we should be doing. We seem to be of the opinion that somebody can walk mm -hmm. in, take the helm of the prosecutorial authority or the investigating directorate, and that one person is able to change an institutionalized problem. Exactly. I'm going to leave you both with that thought. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk more about that. You're listening to Confidential Brief. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Tired of your leaking roof? 
don't have the funds to replace your entire roof? Well, Rubber Roofs is the answer. Rubber Roofs Liquid Rubber Paint has a 10-year product warranty, so you won't have to worry about your leaks ever again. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in waterproofing with expert applicators nationwide. Call us today on 087-0948-092 or visit rubberroofs.co.za for an obligation-free quote. Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in waterproofing. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You're listening to Confidential Brief. Listen to me. Sure. The nerves got me for a second. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. I'm joined today in studio by Angelique De Silva and Carla Buertis, two fellow forensic investigators. Before we went to break, we're talking about the problems facing our state from a prosecutorial and investigative perspective. And Carla said something very interesting. She said we hold people to too high a standard. And that for me is very interesting. If one looks at South Africa as a whole, for me, major corruption dates back to December 1999 when the arms deal was signed into place. In 2001, Judge Willem Heath, then head of the Special Investigating Unit, said that the arms deal was corrupt and that because he wasn't going to be allowed to investigate it, he perceived the government to be soft, soft on corruption and he subsequently resigned. We hold Ramaphosa to a very high standard. We said he's going to make the difference we need. We said the same thing about Shamila Batoy. We said it about Hamian and Crenier. We're now saying it about Andrea Johnson. My question, Angelique, can one person actually make a difference? Can Ramaphosa make a difference? And can those three very senior members who've been in the ID and the NPA make a difference? At this point in time, it's two decades, basically, since all of that started going down. So the problem with that is maybe if they had entered in in 2001 when moral decay in society wasn't as prolific as it is now in 2023. Because there's a lot of things that have happened. COVID has come into effect. A lot of people are suffering financially. And so they're more inclined to be like, you know what, let me get in at the top. Let me take my bit as well and then walk away. So I think they have an uphill battle. Yes, individuals could change. You change it, you push it along, you pass that on to the next person, your passion. And if you have like-minded individuals, you can as a team. But one individual is not going to change the moral decay of the last two decades. Carla, Angelique, speak here about moral decay over the last two decades that we've seen within the fabric of our society in South Africa. But when one looks at the worldwide phenomenon, and she touched on COVID, if one looks just at the United Kingdom last year, all reported crimes... 40% of those reported crimes were fraud-related. That's massive because a lot of fraud goes unreported. So if a country like the United Kingdom is experiencing 40% of all crimes being reported being fraud-related, that means it's a worldwide phenomena. So we've got this decay in our moral fiber in South Africa that we've seen for two decades, but we're also seeing a worldwide um, decay. Why do you think this is happening? Well, if you touch on what Angie said just now, your predecessors, let's say, who have been corrupt or have been corrupted, how do you get out of that? Because it's an, it's an entire society within a society that has seen corruption. So we look at South Africa as a corrupt country, but meanwhile, every 
society within society worldwide has corrupt ways about them. I mean, if you're saying, if you're touching on the UK with the 40% fraud reported, can you imagine what a country like the United States is going through as well? We see South Africa as corrupt because that's what we've named ourselves. So how do we take ourselves out of this name? I get it. So what you're saying is we as a people need to change our, our perception and say, how can we call our country corrupt if I'm not corrupt, if my neighbor's not corrupt, if my colleague at work's not corrupt? Those are three people that I know, and there's a lot more people that aren't corrupt that need to start standing up. How do people stand up, Angelique? Well, the first thing is see something, say something. But again, with the way our whistleblowers are currently being targeted, it's become more difficult to want to see something and say something. So we need to implement where we're showing the people who are standing up to corruption that we're willing to bat for you. Don't be scared to come forward. Don't be scared to report on things. Help us help the community that you're living in. Let's start at grassroots levels and then work our way up. So now we're beginning to wax lyrical, the three of us. We are being the eternal optimist. We are being those that, although we are on the ground and we are experiencing the shortcomings firsthand, we're not being completely honest with our listeners. So let's, let's be honest with our listeners. We've got incredible legislation in South Africa and we have wonderfully named units in South Africa that are meant to carry out that legislation to ensure the investigation and the prosecution of criminals and more importantly to create a form of restitution for victims it's not happening here Carla <laughs> well as colleagues in the office what do we always say public-private partnership it's Definitely. needed and then when I say that, I also include societal, private, public partnership. If we don't see what the issue is, all three aspects, how are we going to overcome that? And unfortunately, it starts, like Angie said, grassroots. And we're not seeing it. We're not seeing it in NPA. We're not seeing it in Hawks. Sometimes we're not seeing it within our own industry. And we become despondent, especially when there's members that are seconded for state capture there's pressure on the other members who are working other cases, and now we hear about that not moving forward as we all intended or hoped that it would. So let's keep it honest. The state needs the help of the private sector. They talk about stakeholder engagement. When you try to engage with them, they say when they refer to stakeholder, it's actually SOEs or other state-type organizations, and the private sector where the Brains Trust sits is still excluded. Yet every one of the three of us sitting here are right now working together with the state, ensuring that cases can reach fruition and finalization. Why won't the state engage formally with the private sector or, pardon the pun, would it be a cop-out on their part? I don't know if it would be a cop-out, but I think it would take a knock on a lot of the inflated egos that are currently sitting in SAPs. So a lot of them, they have the capacity to do these different cases, but they're so inundated with the dockets that I feel like if they partnered with us in the private sector and gave us some of their work, they if, if that came to fruition ahead of some of the other files or dockets that they're working, they'd have to give credit where credit was due. And I'm not sure if that plays a huge role in it. So 
I, I don't think we in it for the credit. We in it for the client. We in it for the victim. We in it for restitution and restorative justice. But Carla, let's talk about what Angelique said about capacity. I spoke about the incredible legislation. We do have the most incredible legislation. I spoke about the units and their names. We do have units with great sounding names, the Hawks. We have the Cobras, which is the SIU. We have the investigating directorate. But what I found is the following. These units using this legislation could very well investigate and prosecute all the major crime we're seeing in South Africa if, in fact, they were capacitated. Now, I don't know if this is deliberate, but when I look at the way budgets are allocated, it gives a completely different story. So let's talk about the investigating directorate. The investigating directorate was set up to investigate everything that came out of Zondo. So that unit could have an incredible return on investment because their job is not just to investigate and prosecute, but to recover what was plundered from the public purse during the capture years. They got, in their very first year of existence, 100 million rand and couldn't even afford 11 employees. Now, in their third or fourth year of existence, they've been given 350 million rand per annum. You made the point, Angelique, that a lot of the members that they are using have been seconded from the Hawks and seconded from the NPA because they don't have enough money for their own investigators and prosecutors, which has a knock-on effect with other cases. Carla, the police only give 2% of their budget to the Hawks to investigate priority crimes, yet they give more than 3% of their budget to security and VIP protection. That is their priority. It seems to me like the easiest way to prevent crime from being investigated and prosecuted is to hold back on funds. Angelique. I would have to agree. Obviously, if there's less funding to these divisions, remember now we've got members that have already been taken out. So the members that are there have all those old cases, their old cases as well as new cases. If you don't have the funding, you can't hire new members. You can't train them up in investigations. So we have less members, more crime, and no budget. Or oh, more budget. I want to go with it's deliberate. It's been deliberately done so. If you're, if you're telling me, Chad, they get uh, $350 million just for a Zonda case, but they can't hire more than 11 people to work on that matter, how can, how can you explain that to a country? So let's look at the Hawks. The Hawks get 2% of the annual police budget. The last police budget was 100 billion rand. It's one of the biggest departments in this country. Of 100 billion rand, the Hawks received 2 billion rand. That 2 billion rand has been able to capacitate them to 49%. And that's not my statistic. That's a statistic that General LeBeer, the head, the national head of the Hawks, gave. He said he's got 49% of his posts filled. That means that the members are carrying double the amount of dockets they should, and he needs another 2 billion rand per annum. So it would be 4 billion rand that the Hawks would need in order for them to actually be able to fulfill their mandate. He has acknowledged that they are less than half capacitated. What does this say for the average investigator that you would deal with, Carla? Well, why can't I throw the question back to you? Chad, what, what do you think it means that they want a double budget? Well, the double budget means that they should be able to then employ enough people to lessen the, the burden that's currently placed on their members. So why do you think they're not wanting to work with the private sector? 
if he knows what his what his posts are that need to be filled, and they think they can do it with that amount of people, but they're not doing it because they don't have enough budget. Why work just yet to the private sector in the hope that perhaps government will capacitate them and give them that extra two billion rand they need? Why can't we can't just work in hopes constantly? Well, that's the problem we have. And thank you for that. That's the problem we have. We get a new president and we think he's going to sweep clean. We get a new head of the ID. We think she's going to sweep clean. We have a head of the NPA. We think it's great. Let's talk about them for a second. Let's talk about the head of the ID, Andrea Johnson. She's come in, she's got impeccable credentials, yet when she was asked last week about the Gupta extradition, she said she wasn't sure about whether they could appeal and whether the 30 days to appeal was from the date of which they had declined or whether it was 30 days working. She was actually uncertain about the extradition process from Dubai. Now, the Guptas are... Number one on the wanted list. If we lived in the Wild West, on every single robot, um, street pole, tree, we'd have a picture of the Guptas most wanted. Our most wanted get found in Dubai and suddenly we're told the extradition process has started. Angelique, with tears in my eyes, surely the NPA would know the, 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 the fundamentals of the UAE and in particular Dubai's legal system to bring those people back here. One would hope, because like you said, the Guptas have been there. So before you even start the process, you need to familiarize yourself. Okay, if this doesn't go as plan A, we need to figure out B all the way to Z until it happens, until we can extradite. So I don't know how you put the cart before the horse in this matter and then turn around and say, I don't know if it's actually 30 days here, 30 days. It, it doesn't inspire confidence in the public. Carla, do you think Hamian Kurnia jumped off that speeding train called the ID because she didn't want to be associated with the fact that they weren't going to have the success that everybody thought they would have? Probably can't speak on her behalf, but yes. To me, we put so much hope in the ID. We were told it's going to be the new Scorpions. I, I don't know. For me, the very first state capture case last week, Angelique, what happened to it? Yeah, <laughs> it's gone. Like, as the judge said, you, you, there was, it was a clean cut case, but you failed to prove beyond reasonable doubt any of it. And then your star witness goes and does what he does on the stand. And you're left there holding the baby that got thrown out. Working for hope. Yeah. Instead of working for an outcome. So dear listener, just to fill you in, the state rested their case and without the defense, Having to call any witnesses, they ask for what's called a Section 174 acquittal. A Section 174 is for the presiding officer to consider whether the evidence that the state has presented was sufficient for the case to go forward and whether the presiding officer thought it would be relevant for the defense to bring forth their case. Alternatively, the presiding officer could decide that the state had not presented enough evidence and that there wasn't a case to be made. In other words, it was not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's exactly what happened in this case. The very first state capture case that's been brought to conclusion, there was an acquittal. Double jeopardy will apply. Those people that were charged cannot be charged on the same charges. It means they get to walk. This is a sad indication of what's happening in our country. But, of course, we were distracted because of Tabo Besta. 
a um, couple of years ago, we were all distracted by the 10 babies. Remember the 10 babies? <laughs> well, this is South Africa. We have a very, very, very fast media cycle. And I don't know whether there's a lot of distraction taking place, whether there's misinformation or deliberate disinformation. But I'm worried because if we see that there are people wanting to make a difference within the law enforcement structures, and if we see that we have the legislation in place, why then is nothing happening? Why are things getting worse and worse around us? Carla, going off, 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 off topic slightly, a town or a municipality brought forward an application in court to be able to use renewable energy and the case was turned down. The request was turned down. Eskom won the case. This town still has to rely on Eskom, although Eskom isn't providing them sufficiently, like they're not supplying any of us. Does that ring true about the rest of the country, that the state doesn't want to give up control over anything? The state just wants us to become a nanny state? More than 100%, completely. It just proves that if the state can hold us to on our knees for their benefit, they will. Psychologically speaking, Angelique, when they forget, and we don't know if they forget, but when they forget to shed us, when we see we're on the load shedding schedule and the power doesn't go off, we get excited. we like little children. Are we being brainwashed? Are we being indoctrinated by the state? I would have to say so because I, I, we celebrate like it's Christmas. So I would say that that's a form of brainwashing because who celebrates the fact that, you know what, you were supposed to get here for two and a half hours, but we're feeling lenient. We missed you. How can, how can we be so used to it that we plan our days around it? We eat dinner <laughs> around a candle and we're okay with it at this point. We're okay that it's two hours and not four hours. How have we gotten like that? So the, the two of you have studied criminology, you both learn it. Are we suffering from some form of Stockholm Syndrome? Is the state our hostage taker? To an extent. Sure, let me see. I would say that in certain situations, definitely, but there's other situations where we revolt. Like with the Tabo Besta case, I don't think the citizens who were in Santon who kept spotting him were under the impression that if we don't report this or if we do report this, there'll be blowback on us. So they did it anyway. So I think there's certain situations like with ESCOM, we used to get shed four and a half hours at a time. And then they're like, no, we're not one to four, we're one to eight now. So we'll give you two hours here, two hours there, unless it's stage six. There, hands down, yes. Ulysses Confidential Brief. We'll be back straight after this. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Tired of your leaking roof? Don't have the funds to replace your entire roof? Well, Rubber Roofs is the answer. Rubber Roofs Liquid Rubber Paint has a 10-year product warranty, so you won't have to worry about your leaks ever again. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in waterproofing, with expert applicators nationwide. Call us today on 087-0948-092 or visit rubberroofs.co.za for an obligation-free quote. Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in waterproofing. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. Chatting today to two industry specialists, fellow forensic investigators, Angelique De Silva and Carla Buertas, and we've been chatting about the fact that it appears that the state could be 
and this is my opinion, sabotaging the very legislation and the very units that they are relying on to turn back state capture, to turn back this epidemic of fraud we're experiencing in South Africa. Now, the company that Angelique Carla and myself are a part of is investigating hundreds of cases worth at the low end 4 billion rand with a B and at the high end around about 20 billion rand. That's hundreds of cases, hundreds of victims, and we get to deal with dozens of investigators and prosecutors. I want to now find out what the relationship is like on the ground between the private sector investigators together with their state role players considering there is no formalized public-private partnership. Angelique. So I I think that there's a, we've established really good relationships in the cases that we've worked. So a lot of the investigating officers will contact us and we'll discuss the matter and how best we can assist them in getting information or analyzing information where they may not be able to go to the state version of an, an analyst because they're just backlogged. So that relationship has been cultivated, and I think we do work hand-in-hand quite nicely. But then again, there are those cases where the investigating officer just doesn't want to communicate or doesn't want to um, rope you in to assist. What I've noticed is a change in attitude. In, in the past, we would present a product which would be complete from our side. The state would then have to verify details, give it to the analysts, and from there it goes to the prosecutors. Prosecutors give instructions and eventually it gets enrolled. Now, once we've handed over that product, they're coming back to us for more and more information and assistance. That means that they are reaching out at the lower levels and it's not become a part of protocol or written into a standing order. What do you think needs to be done, Carla, in order to ensure that the stakeholder relationship moves forward from where it currently is? Well, touching on what Angie said, I think we have, the members we work with have realized we're not there to take over their roles or their positions. We're only there to assist and to actually assist our clients to keep that relationship or to keep the stakeholder relationship with the public-private private partnership, excuse me, I think continuous building on new relationships and perhaps a word of mouth within SAPS, within Hawks, within MPA, why we are there, not just our company, but like public-private partnerships, why it is there. It is for assistance. It is Nobody wants to just take the trophy and run with it. Nobody wants to usurp the powers and the functions of SAPS or the NPA, but SAPS and the NPA need to acknowledge that they need the help from the private sector. Is that what we're saying today? Yes. Well, that was great. That was, that was actually in stereo. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it is. And this, this for me is, what is, is what's so very, very strange. In the late 90s, we saw that crime was on the increase we needed to subcontract out the role of the police in terms of patrolling the streets to private security companies. In the early 2000s, we knew that fraud was going to become a massive problem along with corruption, but we haven't seen a, as as much a growth in the private investigation industry as one would imagine. And there are a lot of organizations that are doing good, the ACFE, the ICFP, um, EFK, and others. And I think a lot of people don't quite understand the role of private investigators. And it's 
the, the role is simple. It's to investigate a crime, which you're entitled to do in law. There's nothing that says you're usurping the powers and the function of SAPs, but you hand that product over to SAPs and they then run with it. For me, I cannot understand why we haven't seen more people join the industry. Most probably every well-known investigator has been on the show because it's been my vision to try, or my objective rather, to try drive the fact and the narrative that there are private organizations that can help. That being said, why are we not seeing a massive growth in private investigation companies, Ange? I still think it's people view PIs in a certain light. And so I don't know if it will grow until that light has changed because you hear so much bad uh, stories. You don't really focus on the good that private investigators do in this industry. So you just think, you know what, let me not go into that industry. It's got a bad reputation because that's all you've heard. So I think education is key. I think that's what's so important. This is my 10th year on FM, and it's always been about educating the public about the need for public-private partnerships, exposing fraud and corruption, and showing the different ways in which it can be brought to the fore. That being said, however, um, Carlo, you have a tax-paying base that honestly believe that the role of investigating is that of the police. That is why they're paying their taxes. And we're now seeing, in my opinion, that SAPs and the specialized units don't have capacity. How does somebody justify to themselves the need to make use of a private organization to do something that should be getting done by the state? Well, unfortunately, Chad, I think that even if you say that the the taxpayers are relying on SAPs, I see more and more they are coming to the private industry. And I think that is what we started the conversation on. The highest levels that we see in the news every day are falling short. So, yeah, that's what I would say about it. Angie's remark about um, the perception some people have about PRs made me smile because the perception that the public at large have about the police is is not the the kindest perception. Um, we, on the other hand, work with police officers on a daily basis in different units, and we see that there is still a passion and a drive, just no infrastructure support. That's correct. Like, you can see that there are passionate members who will find anything that you've analyzed and you've presented to them, they'll run with it. They're excited. They are ready. But unfortunately, like we said, the analysts that are working for SAPs are so inundated that they just don't have time for this information to comb through it. So when it comes to us and we analyze on their behalf and hand it to them, they're excited. As soon as they get it, they move on that information. I think that we've got a police force, a directorate for priority crime investigation, a national prosecuting authority and an investigating directorate that want to make a difference but are being held back through the financial constraints. We've seen that Hamid Kronier, Andrea Johnson, Shamila Batoy and President Roman Posey himself are not quick fixes. In closing, where do we start because it's an institutionalized problem, Carla. Where do we start so that we can see a change within the next few years? We have to start on a society level. We have to stop living for one person to change the country and start living, holding each other's hands, saying, and holding those people accountable. Accountability. And you, Ange? Back to the spirit of Ubuntu. I am who I am. 
because of the person who helped me. So go back to that and let's all move forward, grassroots level, and then hold them accountable. Okay, from my side, stop giving so much money to blue light brigades. Stop giving every single person who holds public office a bodyguard. Stop wasting taxpayers' money. Put that money where it's most needed at this point in time, and that is the fight against crime and to get criminals prosecuted. I didn't want to talk about it, but the story about the two young boys who were murdered and mutilated in Soweto is absolutely heartbreaking. We talk about fraud, we talk about corruption, we talk about the high-flying cases of Tabo Besta, but we're not realizing that it's the people on the street that are being harmed the most, our fellow South Africans. And for that, we need to hold government accountable, not because Tabo Besta escaped, but because two innocent boys were ripped out of their guardians' homes, mutilated and murdered, and it's continuing. It's a daily, daily thing. We have one of the highest murder rates in the world, if not the highest rape statistic in the world. We need to seriously make sure that the spend of our taxpaying money goes to where it's most required. The state cannot do anything unless they have the money. And I do believe the state has money. I just don't believe it is given out correctly in terms of whoever makes those budget decisions. We need to stand up to the Minister of Finance. We need to stand up to the President. We need to stand up to the Minister of Police, the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services, and say, please allocate the money correctly. Or else I think we are going to see a tax revolt. And we've got such a tiny tax base that that will, in effect, destroy our country. Any closing thoughts, Carla? No, Chad. Just thank you for having Ange and I. This was a good chat. Angelique? I follow on to what you've just said, especially with like Muti murders and children and women abuse. We need to focus on our future, and if we're not protecting our future, we're not going to have one. Today was different. Today we got to discuss the reality of what's happening on the ground. It's a conversation not many people have. It's a, not, it's a conversation where people just generally assume that the reason why cases aren't reaching fruition is because of corruption or inability. They're partly correct because when units are deprived the correct budget and finances to, to enable them to investigate and prosecute serious crime, then that is a corrupt practice. But... Don't forget this. There are so many policemen and so many prosecutors that have walked the walk and are trying their absolute best to see closure in these matters. But they cannot do it without our support. And the public needs to find its voice. I don't know how. This program isn't going to solve that problem. This very brief conversation between myself, Angelique, and Carl is not going to save the problem. But maybe it leaves a, a seed amongst you, our listeners, and you can talk about it to your friends and family and say the state is not capacitating law enforcement and prosecutorial authorities. And as a result of that, that is why we're seeing the problems we are faced with. It all comes down to one thing. Money is not being allocated. If money was allocated correctly, we would see a difference. Thank you so much for joining us today. Next week, we'll be back to our normal routine. I just thought it would be important, considering all these high-profile cases, that we got to discuss the importance of understanding the constraints 
And I don't know whether we can even go as far as to say restraints that we are finding within the public service and the need for a public-private partnership. Thank you to my two guests, Angelique De Silva and Carla Buertas. You can find them on LinkedIn. You can also find them on other social media. Confidential Brief was proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof, only to find out that your roof still leaks, well, it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber Roofs manufacture and apply the rubber roof paint to your roof. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber Roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You can find out more at www.rubberroofs.co.za. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Tired of your leaking roof? Don't have the funds to replace your entire roof? Well, Rubber Roofs is the answer. Rubber Roofs Liquid Rubber Paint has a 10-year product warranty, so you won't have to worry about your leaks ever again. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in waterproofing, with expert applicators nationwide. Call us today on 087-0948-092 or visit rubberroofs.co.za for an obligation-free quote. Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in waterproofing.